Well, Merry Christmas. Come on, guys. Merry Christmas. Now, you know we're supposed to start early, all right, because it's a church tradition. So I titled this message, Joy to the World. And I want to chat with you a minute about joy, but we're going to talk about this for three weeks. And uh, we're going to break down some things and really minister to our heart. But how many of you are familiar with the word Advent? Advent. Some of you guys, Advent's not in the Bible, but it's, it, it comes from a, a Latin word. It means the coming. Somebody say this. Come on, help me. Coming. And what the early church would do, and this was established around 450 A.D., they would, work, they would begin to get ready and they would celebrate the coming of Jesus as a baby, but also the second coming of Jesus back into the earth. Isn't that cool? So they would celebrate usually four to five weeks out. And it's come to be now to where it's four weeks. All right, so it actually starts today, December 3rd. And this would be celebrated all the way up until December the 24th. And you would celebrate the coming of the Lord. Now we say that's what Christmas is about, Amen. I know in prayer last Wednesday, we were talking about, Lord, free us from the commercialized Christmas. And there's nothing wrong with gifts because I love to give gifts and I love to receive gifts. Um, but we, 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 we get too much. You see what I'm saying? We, we, we get too much over into a, to be honest, a plastic Christ, Christmas. All right? This high-paced, fast, you know what I mean? And we, we, we lose the sense that we're celebrating the coming of the Lord. The coming of the Lord. And my hope is in this season that we all slow down. So that the coming of the Lord who came 2,000 years ago, the God, man, or let me just say it this way so it's not confusing. God became a baby, became a man, but he chose to die and come again and get his people. And we, we were able to experience him, experience him. Have fun. Listen, I love the smells. I love the food. I love the chocolates. I love all those things. I love the lights. I love it all. So I'm not weird. All right? Like that? I love it. But the, the hope is we experience the coming of the Lord. Watch this. In a personal way. A very powerful, personal way. But we as a body, we as a region, the hope is God would come inside this region and do something very unique inside this city. We believe that, right? Come on, we believe that, right? We can't play, pray for revival, guys, and not like, you know, come on, all right? And believe that God's going to actually, this could be it. Yeah. Like all of our preaching, all of our singing, all of our giving, all the things that we do, if God comes on this, right, this city and steps on this city, this, this ground, he manifests his sovereignty in a way all the things that we do could never match that, and this city will be changed in a moment. Schools will be changed. Families will be changed. Bodies, minds, everybody. So we're going to celebrate this for the next few weeks. And, um, yeah, that, 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 that's my prayer. And I really believe that that's the joy that comes into this world. So let me, let me read a scripture, and we'll take off. So we're coming out of, uh, and Pastor Nate was quoting it, Luke 2, it'll be up on the screen, verses 8 through 12, it says, Now therefore, excuse me, now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. So this deals with the first coming. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. 
Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior. Wow. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. That's the will of God for all mankind right now. On earth, notice it didn't say in heaven. On earth, peace, goodwill toward all people. This is what the coming of the Lord brought. The coming of the Lord brought a hope that the world didn't have. The coming of the Lord brought something for all of mankind that was his goodwill could be manifested for all of us now. This is the joy. This is the excitement inside of our heart. So let me just talk to you just for a moment about joy, but I'm not preaching on joy, all right? So title the message, Joy to the World, because I believe that Jesus is the greatest joy, him coming into the earth, but it's everything that he brings, himself, his presence, and all the benefits that he chose to pay for brings joy. If I was going to try to define it in my own terms, the joy of God, there's an excitement in the heart of the Father. There's always this great, great excitement in the heart of God. And as you touch the Father, you begin to experience the joy that comes from Him. I mean, He is the one that made the plan for Jesus to come into the world. He is the one that devised that this would be a baby that would become a man that would die and would come again. And when we begin to touch Him, there's this excitement that begins to happen in our heart. And it's everything that He planned we begin to see, we begin to partake of. Watch this, guys. Even when it's not currently a reality for us. The crazy thing about joy is when you look at the book of Romans, chapter 14, there's three things that define the kingdom. It says righteousness, peace, and joy. And two of those are felt realities. They're felt. Look at my fingers for a minute. It's something you can feel. You can feel the peace of God. You can feel the joy of God. Righteousness is different. But there's two things that are very tangible. In the kingdom of God, God wants us to understand that joy, and people say joy is not happiness, but joy produces a felt reality inside of our life. And this excitement that's in the heart of God, we begin to feel something. And this is the kicker. It's when something's not happened, as I begin to feel the excitement of God out of my mouth, I rejoice. I rejoice when everything else says this is not working out. So for 4,000 years, God rejoiced in heaven my son would come. And this day, he says, rejoice because my son is here. And because he came now, he says, you can rejoice even when your reality does not match. Touch me and you'll begin to feel the excitement in my heart of what my son felt or what my son did. And you'll begin to actually up out of yourself. Rejoice. We need that. We need to understand, watch this. We need to understand the angle from how God operates. He says, Isaiah 54, it's not in my notes. Rejoice, O barren one, you who have not born, you who have not labored with child. Let me say that another way. Rejoice, you who are struggling right now to meet your needs, to pay your bills. Rejoice, 
That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Rejoice when nothing is working out. God says that's the time to rejoice. From God's angle, follow me, look at me for a minute. From God's angle, God sees the breakthrough. And then God says, watch this now. I'm going to come back. And as you touch me, you're going to feel my excitement about your breakthrough. And it's going to begin to cause you to rejoice so you don't see nothing. And this becomes the key for you to walk inside of something that could be a day off, a week off, three months off, but it's going to begin to allow you to do something that don't make any sense to your natural mind. At the same time, it's going to change you. It's going to change your countenance. It's going to change your disposition. It's literally going to change your physical body. Joy brings medicine on the inside of me, but the absence of that means I'm dried up on the inside. Did Jesus pay for it? No, did he pay for it? Did he pay for all of it? How much did he pay for? So when you touch the Father, we'll talk about this, you begin to feel this excitement. You can't even put your finger on it sometimes, and God doesn't always give us the ABCs all the way to the XYZ. Sometimes he loves it when we walk in the mystery, but he says when you touch me, all of a sudden there's something brewing on the inside of you, and out of your mouth you're rejoicing, and it doesn't make any sense but it's the key for you to walk in your breakthrough, but it's also the key so that you don't. Be dry. I was choosing my words carefully. So that we're not dry. I don't want to say hinder your breakthrough is what I was going to say. I don't want to say that. God wants us to rejoice to the finish line. God doesn't want to drag us to the finish line because in the mercy of God, sometimes God could drag us to the finish line. Does that make sense? I don't want to go just like, and then God break through. I want to go like, man, you, you, are y'all tracking with me? And there is no greater joy than to rejoice when you haven't seen and you see God step inside of your reality and it changes your reality. And at the same time, what that does is that gives you something it's not just this, guys. It's not just theology. It gives you an experience. It gives you an experience that can't be argued with. It marks you. It changes you. It gives you the ability to have a gift to where now you can give joy to other people, and nobody can argue with it. It's the difference maker. Joy. The excitement of heaven. God says in 3 John 4, I have no greater joy. This is what God says about you. I have no greater joy than to see that my children walk in truth. I'm going to say it another way. I have no greater joy when they touch me because when they touch me, something gets inside of them, and I can hear them stepping toward the finish line, walking toward my truth. You guys good? Yeah? You guys awake? Y'all seem tough tonight. I'm going to keep it real. Y'all seem tough tonight. Y'all talk to me a little bit, all right? I'm just making sure y'all good. I'm preaching better than y'all helping me out, that's for sure. I said amen to Pastor Nate a lot more than me. I don't know what's going on. I'm trying to be comfortable with my skin up here. So verse 11 says, There is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior. Somebody say he's my Savior, who is Christ the Lord. So what I want to talk to you about is I want to talk to you about our Savior 
I want to talk to you about two things tonight, okay? It's very interesting to me that when you look in heaven at the very last chapter in the Bible, it says that there is a lamb on the throne. But Revelations 1, Jesus is not a lamb. In Revelations 1, when God deals with the churches and building the churches, Jesus is the lion. It says his face is like the sun shining in its strength. When he opens his mouth, it says there's like a lightning bolt coming out. And he does not look like a lamb. He looks like a lion. But at the end of the book, it says there's a lamb sitting on the throne. I woke up Wednesday with this song in my heart. It's an old Hillsong song. I'm not going to sing it neither because I'll mess the anointing up. But I'm, I'm, I'm not, I actually, I didn't have this in my, my notes. I'm, I'm like, I worked on my message a little bit on Monday and I finished on Wednesday. But I woke up with this song in my heart. I'll never know how much it cost to see my sin upon the cross. Y'all know that song? I'll never know how much it cost to see my sin upon the cross. I believe the lamb is on the throne because forever God will show us how much it cost forever for us to walk with him in eternity. Listen, guys, I, I really believe that all of us are challenged with this. We, we live in such a place of abundance. No matter where you're at in life, we live, all live in abundance. All right? You can do the stats. Just Google it. Most of the world, you live richer than almost probably 90% of the entire world and you could be considered poor in America and still 90% richer than all the world. But we live in such a place of abundance. And we as Christians, we get saved. And I think we move so past beyond the main thing. We're so focused on the roof. We're so focused on the walls. And we can kind of miss just the encounter of our Savior. Just meditating and thinking on the reality that he saved me. So two things I want to talk to you about. We're saved from something and we're saved to something. This is what we're saved from. We're saved from sin and death. We're saved from sin and death. Like nobody in the room is excited. So, you know, Jesus didn't come to wash away your sins, guys. Y'all know that, right? Jesus came to change you. It's way bigger than him just washing away my sins. Shoot, man, the Old Testament had this word called atonement, and they would all meet once a year, and the blood of an animal covered their sin for the whole year. If we were just going to do that, then Jesus could have just had kept that in motion. No, when it says he's saved us from sin, that means he's changed you. Like we no longer have to walk in sin. Like, really, if we understood that, then we're not fighting with the devil all the time. I'm not always in spiritual warfare because if I'm free from sin, then I have a new Lord. He used to be my Lord, and I put my thumb on him, not even my foot. 
Like that, I, we really don't understand the, the, the shouting behind that. Let me, let me kind of give you an illustration. During World War I and World War II, there's countries that rejoiced. They were so happy when they heard the Americans were coming. Because there was tyranny. They'd been locked inside of their homes. Their family members had been killed. Their items had been stolen and they're locked in their homes. And they just needed hope to be free, to have a normal life again. And the French would like rejoice and so excited during World War I. But I mean so many people during World War II, they would come out in the street and they would be dancing and singing and excited just at the sound that deliverance was coming. And we don't think of it like that. But the enemy had his thumb on us. And Scripture says that we were in darkness. And it says by nature we were children of wrath. Separated from God. It says that we were without hope in this world and without God. So we, 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 I'm telling you, we move so fast beyond this gift that he saved me. We say this all the time. If all he did was save me and I didn't get nothing else, that would be enough. I was meditating on that today. And I was asking the Lord to this. I was like, that sounds religious. I said, it's true. Because if we didn't know all the benefits that you've done for us, that would be enough. If we were just saved from hell, from hell, and saved to heaven, it wouldn't matter what we put up with in this world, that would be enough. But watch this. Our minds are so filled with clutter that it's hard sometimes to think about the main thing. I'm preaching to myself too, guys, okay? And I, and I don't want this to be hard. All I want is I want us to have a visitation from the Lord. And so that God can remove. He can remove the leaven. He can remove the clutter inside of our life so that we can reboot. And we can get inside of a place where we're experiencing Christmas, experiencing him, the Savior. The gift. He's freed you from sin and death. Anybody scared to die in here? All right, some of y'all real. Hey, listen. He's removed the fear of death, okay? He's removed it. So that means, like, watch this. If my body expires today, I live inside this body, and there's angels waiting on me right now. There's angels around you all the time, and they just take Howard, the real Howard, up into his inheritance. We don't think about that, do we? He said he's destroyed the one who had the fear of death in Hebrews 2. He destroyed the one. The actual original language just means that Jesus paralyzed Satan. He's got his foot on his neck. And he said, I paralyzed the one that had you in this fear because I made you like me on the inside. And I defeated him. So you no longer have to walk in sin and you no longer have to walk in fear of death no more. We got to chew on that. We got to rejoice in that. What Pastor Nate was saying earlier about celebrating and being thankful inside this season will allow God to come, visit you in your home, visit you inside of your dreams to experience Him. I should maybe get everybody to get up and do some jumping jacks. You guys good? Are y'all tracking with me? He has freed us from this and He's freed us to something else. So I'll move on with this. I love this scripture. I don't have it in my notes, but it's Psalms 103. I go here all the time, and I just think, just bless the Lord, O oh my soul, 
disappear. My soul. It says, all that is within me. What is within you? What is within you? You know, when he, when, when he takes me to that scripture, he reminds me that inside of me, there's so much more than I can see. What he's placed inside of me. How many gifts has he given you? How many gifts do you currently walk in? How many gifts do you walk in, Haley? How many gifts do you walk in, Tim? Christian, Lisa, how many, how much have you experienced? He says, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Watch this, rejoice, even though you haven't seen all the greatness that I have inside of you because there's so much more. Then it goes on to say, forget not all of his benefits. And you've heard me say this before, but if God actually tells us not to forget his benefits, that what does that mean? No, that means you will forget. No, it, it does. If God tells us not to forget, that means he knows we will forget. But he's not hard. He says, don't forget my benefits. That's because we will. He actually told the children of Israel when he was taking them out of Egypt into the promised land. He said, hey, listen, guys, when I take you into this land that you did not actually conquer, that's got cities that you did not build, houses that you did not build, olive groves, the vineyards that you didn't plant, he said, when you eat and enter full, then beware lest you forget the Lord. That's all in Deuteronomy 6. And he told them to actually talk about the Lord when you're sitting down, when you're with your family. He talked about a way so that you don't forget. Because if we don't, we will forget. And we will slowly forget the greatness, let's just say this, guys, of just who he is as Savior. So all the benefits, I'm not reading them through, but the first one says he's forgiven us of all iniquities. Do you guys know the difference between iniquities and transgression? He doesn't say transgression. Iniquities deals with your nature. We were all rebellious by nature. Transgression means I missed the mark. We do that every day. It means I missed the mark. It's like shooting a bullseye, and you're not in the yellow. You're way over here in the black. All right, but you still hit the target, but you're, you're off that's transgression. Iniquity deals more with the nature. He says, I've actually forgiven everything that you would ever do, and I changed you on the inside so that you don't have to live in sin. Amen. You're like, man, Howard, that's a Merry Christmas message there for you. It's a gift, guys, and that's the, the, the big idea behind Jesus being our Savior is he is the greatest gift and we are saved from something, and we're saved to something. So the, the part that we're saved to, and this is concise. There's a lot more, is to his presence. So Psalm 1611, it says, You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I used to have a good friend of mine that I walked with, um, he used to always say, you can't out-pleasure God. And he was basically talking about the temptations of the world and the different things that we experience. He says, you can't out-pleasure God. If you'll choose to walk with him inside of his presence, he begins to show you the pleasures of heaven. And he's the one that created pleasure. You will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So as I was preparing this message, the Lord gave me this song or this hymn. It's actually in the book of Isaiah, and, he, and I want to declare it over you. So I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to stand. Just during this part, I want you to stand up. That way you can 
if you're sleeping a little bit, you can wake up. And I just want you to close your eyes for a moment and put your hand on your heart. And I'm going to declare this. It's a psalm, like I said, but it's in Isaiah. And I want you to just listen to this. And I'm going to declare this over your life today. So Isaiah 12, 1 through 6, it says, And in that day you will say, O Lord, I will praise you. Though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away, and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for Yah, the Lord, is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And in that day, you will say, praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his deeds among the peoples. Make mention that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, O city of God. It says inhabitants of Zion, which is city of God. Cry out and shout, O city of God. For great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. I'm going to say this again. For great is the Holy One of Israel in your heart, in your home, at your job, Everywhere you go, great is the Holy One of Israel who is in your midst. You can have a seat. That's Isaiah chapter 12, verses 1 through 6. And it talks about this psalm that rejoices over salvation. And it says that you can actually pull the presence. When you see water in the Bible, water is a symbol of the presence of God. Do you know in the Old Testament, when you see the word presence, it's translated face. There is no greater gift that you can have than to see God face to face. Not grandma's God, not the preacher's God, all right? Not my denomination's God, but like to see God face to face. Like what the apostle John saw on the Isle of Patmos when he himself was blown away. And he fell to his feet and he seen Jesus face to face in his resurrected form. This is my prayer, that you will draw from the wells of salvation, that you'll begin to experience this water, and that God will meet you in a way. This is what changes us. Not my great study habits, not my great prayer life. All of that is powerful. But when he shows up unannounced, and it marks you, your whole life is different from that moment. You can't even operate the same anymore. You're free at that moment. Things you've been praying about, struggling with, confessing the word of God over, all of a sudden is just dropped off of you. You will draw from the wells of salvation, rejoicing over him being a savior, that I'm saved from this and I'm saved to your presence. And God says, I'll step on the scene. As your savior in a way, even though we were saved in that moment and we confessed him out of our mouth, most of us didn't feel anything. Amen? 
You didn't feel anything. You knew you were changed, but you didn't feel anything. And that's the beginning. But as we draw from the wells of salvation, God says, I want to come into your room. I want to come into your room so I can meet with you. So that you can experience me as Savior in every season of your life. And he wants to demonstrate that he's in your midst right now. That's what brings joy. So God demonstrates that he's in your midst right now. As I'm worshiping up here, I don't know if you saw me do this, Alan. I'm like, I'm like giggling and laughing. And the reason why is because how the Lord spoke to me. And, and he spoke to me in a way that I'm, I'm not going to share. But then he said this word. He said, watch. That made me laugh. And it's so funny because later in worship, he was showing me things that he showed me in the word. Because watch deals with Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 12. And the almond tree blossoms before anything else. It's a tree that actually wakes up all of winter. It wakes up your old season when it's been, nothing's being produced. And the almond tree, it's a play on words that means the shaker, the waker. So God knew, because he's taught me that when he said the word, watch. He says, yeah, your season's changing. All in a word. Like the one that we preach always wants to demonstrate with signs. Are y'all tracking with me? He wants to demonstrate himself. Watch. I took it as watch me move. Not like that season is changing. And now watch. Here it comes. I believe that's for all of us. So your winter season's coming to an end. Somebody say amen to that. Your winter season's coming to an end. And God says you're going to begin to see the fresh shoots that comes from the trees. And there's going to be a budding. And there's going to be flowers. And you're going to begin to see fruit from some of the things that you've been believing God for and desiring. And everybody in agreement say amen. Amen. I want to give you three things when it talks about the gift of his presence. And I'll wrap up. How do you respond to this gift? He saved me from sin and death, and he saved me to his presence. How do I respond to that gift? Three things. How do I respond to that gift? I believe I respond to the gift. James 4, it says, draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. You guys familiar with Asbury and what happened in Asbury? Kind of blew up in Kentucky, right? Do y'all remember what happened? Like they were worshiping, right? And then what was it? Just a few people. How many was it? I don't know the number. Was it like eight or ten? Just a few? What did they do? Does anybody know? They lingered. They lingered. Like, Lord, I know I'm supposed to read the word, and I know I'm supposed to pray, but just what if I changed my mindset and I just lingered. Now we, we have to figure that out. But I think we, not, we all can agree we understand to draw near to God, right? And he will draw near to you. How do I, how do I go beyond the norm? Because this is what he did as Savior. He went beyond the norm to save the world. How, how, do, I, how do I honor this gift? How do I go beyond the norm? Y'all tracking with me? Yeah. Anybody love sleep? My wife loves sleep. 
She always tells me that. Like, I'm going to bed. I love sleep. I mean, I stay up late. You know, there's different seasons of our life. There's different seasons of our life where, you know, you can just put your foot on the gas. You don't, you don't need to hear from the Lord. You got his word. Paul says that there was a, a fasting that he did, he says, in sleeplessness and in fastings. Listen to me, guys. I'm just trying to encourage you. I, I don't need the heavens to open and God say, Howard, linger. And this is how I want you to linger. I can just put my foot on the gas. Do you hear what I'm saying? And God will grace me. He will grace me inside of that season, and then he'll tell me, hey, change. All right, because I'm doing a new thing inside of your life. Is that okay? Second thing is, how do we guard the gift? How do you guard the gift? The most important thing that you have to guard in this earth, the most important thing you have to guard is this right here, guys. Not this organ, but your heart. This is the thing Satan works night and day on to contaminate. Satan can't get inside of your heart, but he will definitely contaminate your heart if you let him. So scripture says when you get in the word of God, this is what Jesus said, and he said his cornerstone teaching. He says, when you sow the seed, Satan comes immediately. So this is not God allowing Satan to come, none of those things. He said, no, I defeated him. And then I gave you, I gave you the leash. You got the leash, okay? I've heard a preacher say that before. God's got Satan on a leash. He actually don't. He defeated him, and he gave you the leash, okay? You, you, you're the one. You, you just put your foot up there. Okay? And if you, the, the, the more we know who we are, I'm not a sinner saved by grace. I'm triumphant because of Jesus. He's defeated. Scripture says in Ephesians 2, it says, excuse me, Ephesians 1, you're far above. It don't say you're above Satan. It says you're far above all principality, power, might, dominion. Then it goes on to say every name that is named, meaning that everything he throws at you, I put you far above that too. Okay? But you have to guard your heart. And, and there's three things. The enemy will always try to contaminate your view of God. So when there's not breakthrough in your life, you can best believe the enemy always comes night and day to tell you that God don't love you, that you don't have the favor of God, that you don't, you're not special enough, that you've done something wrong. Whatever it is, he's always trying to contaminate your view of God, first and foremost. That is the biggest controversy in the kingdom of God. Is the church. They have all these different views of God. And this is what Jesus said in Matthew 16. He says, how do people see me? Who am I? And there was all these different views. And it's the same thing in the church today. And the enemy works night and day to contaminate our hearts so that we got this incorrect view of God. Well, God don't heal everybody. And God don't do this and God don't do this. Not what God does, what God don't do. It's always what God don't do. It's like the dude that the, the, the pool. The guy that Jesus healed that had been lame. For like 30-something years. I think it's 39 years because he represents, you know, anyways. The guy that Jesus healed. History says there was a ton of people around that pool that had the same issue. So what would the church say today? How do you feel since Jesus passed you over? Not like, hey, let's rejoice over the one that got healed. How do you feel since Jesus passed you over? How do you feel since you didn't get promoted? But this guy here got promoted. Man, I'm more gifted than him. How'd he get promoted? He must have cheated. <laughs> Are y'all tracking with me? He tries to contaminate night and day. Those thoughts that war inside of your mind, it's real, real simple. God's good. 
Anything outside of that, I just got to cast down. I don't have to, watch this, I don't have to have all the right answers, even theologically. Just any jaded thought about God or you is not from God. Now, we can have some own strongholds inside of our mind that God's got to break down about ourselves or even about him. But that's the second thing he does. He comes against how you look at you every day. Every day. I ain't going to make it. I ain't going to make it. I'm not going to make it. So, so, hey, can we all say this? Hey, Jesus is on the throne. That's all we got to say. Are we scared of death? I mean, listen, guys, this is not an easy pill to swallow, but it's Bible, okay? Hey, listen, what if I die? I'm going to heaven. He can't win. Jesus on the throne. What's the worst thing you can do? Kill me? I get to go to heaven. Paul says to live as Christ to guys dies gain. I know we don't think like that, and I'm not telling you to think like that, but all I'm saying is, is that the enemy always comes to fill in these blanks, and we, 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 we kind of fill them in sometimes for him, and it's like, what's the worst thing you can do to me? And the last thing is against people. So listen, guys, you need to learn the devil and how he operates in your personal life. I'm going to tell you how he operates in mine. When I come to church and when I go home, those two things. He comes against my mind, and I'm just driving, and all of a sudden, I see the hamster rolling, and I go, oh. The hamster rolling is just thoughts. It's kind of like, you know what I'm saying? You're just driving. You ever drive? You got windshield time, and all of a sudden, there's a thought, and it could be somebody done you wrong in the past or whatever else, and the enemy always, I'm telling you, watch this, guys. You need to understand this because it makes it so much easier to guard your heart. He always tries me when I'm going home, and the reason why is because he wants to jack up my home time with my family. So if he can get like this, any kind of war going on, come in the house, and he's got me all stirred up because of something that happened in the past. It's still in the past. Or when I'm coming to church and I'm being around my family here, bring up something from the past and try to stir something up. And that's strategy. And he did the same thing with Jesus when he was fasting. He looks at times you're vulnerable and tries to come against you when it comes to other people. But God says when it comes to everything, everything, he says, think on these things, what is pure, what is noble, what is honorable. If it's not that thought, it's not from God. Even if you don't text me back. I'm messing with Alan. <laughs> he didn't text me back. Maybe, he's, maybe his phone died. 1 Corinthians 13 says that love believes the best, and you're made in the image of love. Are y'all tracking with me? How do we guard the greatest gift, his presence? Listen to me, guys. This is, this is, listen, this is Christianity 101, but this is, to, to be honest, this is where I would say 99.9% .9 of all Christians fail. Right here. Guarding the heart. You see so much offense, so much bitterness, so much just division in themselves and with everybody else because of not guarding their heart. And you know what? Listen to me, guys. Jesus won't do it. God will not do it. He does not do this stewardship. And if he saved me from sin and death and he saved me to his presence, i got to guard my heart. Last thing, I'm going to get you guys to stand.